I've had clients who've been told, just relax, take a few breaths, it's supposed to hurt, this is your duty, it will stop after the initial pain, have a glass of wine, take a painkiller or some numbing gel, right? None of these things is okay. Gross. That's right, we're getting sexy. <laughs> we're getting sexy at the doctor today. <laughs> That's right, we're talking all about everything you need to know going into a sexual health checkup or if you're going to your GP to ask a few questions about an STD check, everything. We're going to cover it all. Anything about your bits that you might want to talk to the doctor about, actually, is today. Exactly. Now, kicking it all off, Tanya, Mm. for someone who doesn't have any immediate or pressing concerns in their nether regions, how often should you be seeing a doctor for a sexual health check? All right. Um, Probably every six to 12 months or when you change partners, or if you show some symptoms. Three things, right? So if, if you haven't changed partners, if you haven't got symptoms, every six to 12 months sort of keeps you on top of things. Mm. And what would you say is the purpose of going in for these checkups so regularly? Yeah, well, it is. It's to keep you on top of your sexual health. And a lot of STIs are asymptomatic. So you might be carrying something and passing it on without realising. Chlamydia is one of those. Um, And it's not good when it does sort of come up. Chlamydia is a a really big danger actually to folks with vulvas because it can cause lesions on the inside and they don't know what's happening. And it actually makes them more susceptible to infections like HIV. Uh, So it's it's important to check for that. I think uh, also folks with vulvas, it's really important to get a regular pap smear and check because it's an early detection for cervical cancer. Mm. And yes, it can be a pain and not pleasant, but I tell you, cervical cancer is no fun. No, no. Um, Now, can we quickly run through some common STIs and their symptoms? Just so you, you know, if you're listening... You may or may not realise you need to be aware of something or you might have noticed something, actually. Yeah. There's there's more than 20 known sexually transmitted infections that will cause you symptoms and you should see the doctor immediately. Um, But if you have unprotected genital, oral, anal sex, some of these infections, as we were saying, they're kind of silent. So it's important to keep on top. Uh, Sydney is experiencing uh, an increase in cases of gonorrhea. People are calling it super gonorrhea. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) You might notice a discharge, but you might not experience any symptoms at all, but it's definitely on the rise. Um, Chlamydia is another typically silent infection. It's the most common STI in Australia and about one in only one in four people will show symptoms. Uh, so it's, it could be stinging when you're passing urine or a discharge. So anything that looks a bit different, go to the doctor. Syphilis, another infection. It's bacterial, so it's easily missed. Um, maybe you might get a sore that's not very painful or a blister uh, all by itself, but it can be passed up for other things uh, and it can be in your system for 18 months before it goes, hi, I'm here. <laughs> right? um, there's a parasite called trick. Trichomonas, I think it's called, that may or may not cause stinging when urinating and a watery discharge. You've got HPV. Uh, people may notice genital warts for this one, and some strains of this are linked with cervical cancer as well. Then you have genital herpes. That's a recurrent periodic outbreak of genital sores. And you have hepatitis B and C as well. People don't tend to think about that. And 
HIV or AIDS, um, people seem to be less aware of this than when when I was doing the, the rounds um, <laughs> because it was very there was a lot of compulsory education when it all came out and there was a lot of AIDS activism. But I think people are less aware. It's less of a less of a big deal because there are drugs to treat it, but still it can have significant impacts on your health. Mm. Now, say you're considering going into have a little check-in, check-up. Do you have to go to a GP first or is there specific sexual health clinics you can go to? Good question. It uh, You can go and have a check-up at your GP, definitely, or you can raise it as part of something else that you're going to see them about. Uh, some GPs are really excellent at this and some less so. So a sexual clinic, a sexual health clinic is right on top of things, I think, in terms of questions to ask and knowledge about lifestyles, treatments, perhaps gender stuff. Um, lots of them now are absolutely working with correct pronouns and things like that. But I've seen some great sexual health clinics miss this on their intake forms. So mm. people are catching up, but slowly. Uh, but I think the sexual health clinics are also more likely to be up on the latest treatments than your general GP surgery. We've been going through why you should go for a sexual health check, some of the common uh, STDs, STIs you should be on the lookout for, and that you can also go and get a check at your GP or you can go to a specific sexual health clinic, but they will all ask you more or less a myriad of questions. Yes, they will. What are these questions? So you can feel prepared if you're listening and considering going and making an appointment. Yes. Um, it's really important too to understand that doctors are asking these questions to ascertain if you've undertaken activities that may be considered high risk things like anal sex because you can get small tears in the anal area and that makes it easier to transmit these infections. It's not about judging or commenting on your lifestyle but rather about giving you the best medical attention and the best advice possible. So I want to preface it with that because some people are like, oh, I don't know if I should tell my doctor that. Yes, you should. Definitely you should. There's zero judgments there. Um, it, they can, first of all, they're going to check, have you had an STI test in the past and when was your last check? In the past six months, how many people have you had sex with? Do you have sex with men? Do you have sex with women? Do you have sex with both transgender folk? Do you have vaginal sex, oral sex, anal sex? Uh, and all of these things have different complications and STI-relevant information. Do you use contraception? How often do you use condoms? Do you have any symptoms? Um, and as we were saying, a lot of STIs assign it and they don't have symptoms, but maybe uh, some folks with vulvas could experience painful sex or painful urination or a difference in their regular vaginal discharge or even bleeding. Mm. So when was your last period? Was it normal? Have you Do you inject drugs? Have you injected lately? Do you have any tattoos or body piercings, interestingly? This is the sort of hep C, hep B stuff. So these things... Don't skip a beat. Answer the questions. Uh, I promise you, they're not there to judge. I, I do know, I have heard stories of doctors that have looked down their nose about sexual partners or, yes. well, you should have come in for an STI sooner than that. But I think, and if that will get to, if things aren't going very well. Yes. You can definitely, um, there is rights of recourse there. Most doctors really want to do a good job for you. Remember that. Totally. Now, you've taken the plunge. You're going to go get tested what does STI testing involve, Tanya? Uh, okay, it usually involves giving a urine sample um, and sometimes if you have a vulva, a vaginal examination. 
Um, if you've had unprotected or anal or oral sex, a throat swab or an anal swab might be required. And the swab's going to take a sample of the secretions that are being produced in that body part. Sometimes you can collect this yourself and the doctor will advise. Um, for the testing of some STIs like hepatitis, syphilis, HIV, a blood sample is needed. And that's usually taken from a vein in the arm and it involves one to two needles, depending on how many tests they're going to run. Uh, I think it's really important to, to note that not all STIs are checked for in the testing. So do not assume that uh, your doctor is going to check for everything. Mm. They do different STI testing for different folks, which is why the doctor is going to ask you all those questions. For And things for you to know, herpes is not automatically tested, uh, included in STI tests. So if you're concerned about it, ask about it. Don't let the doctor talk you out of it. It's important for you that you have all the information you need about your health. So if you're like, oh, there's a gonorrhea outbreak in Sydney and, and the doctor's like, ah, oh, I don't think you need that. It's like, can you please include that in the test? That would just make me feel better. Yeah, yeah. Right? Plus, like, as uncomfortable as a physical exam is, it is a way to confirm the results of a blood test or a urine test, right? Absolutely. And honestly, the the complications that can happen, I have seen some of the most horrendous pictures of STIs when they're unchecked. And again, for the things like cancer, you really don't want to go there. It's taken some really fabulous people out of our lives way too soon. Get your checkups. Mm. Um, I've heard that there are some tests that you can do, like a physical exam yourself, which... I think is excellent news for anyone who might be uncomfortable by the idea of having somebody else taking a look in, especially, you know, someone who might not feel absolutely comfortable in their own skin or in their bodies. Mm. Give me some info, Tanya. <laughs> I'll give you some info. Um, I think, well, one, the anal swabs, mostly these days you do yourself. The doctor will give you like the biggest, longest Q-tip you've ever seen and send you off to the loo saying, can you just do that and put this in a test tube for us? So that's up to you to administer that in the loo. They give you very explicit instructions on how to do it. And then you can go and do that by yourself in a cubicle. And for folks, like pap smears have been quite invasive. You know, historically it's been yeah. a doctor using a speculum to sort of part everything and then stick in something very long to take a swab of the skin and the, the secretions there. Now, a lot of people don't want people up in their bits that intimately and sometimes I've heard lots of stories of cold speculums rough doctors and what about people who've had sexual assault yeah or people who've had vagin who have vaginismus I have some clients who cannot get um, a pap smear unless they're sedated mm. right and some have had, had to be under general because it's their body's like so yeah absolutely not this is not happening so they're now making it that you can use a speculum yourself and do the test yourself so you have full control over it. It's still not pleasant to be rummaging around in your bits in that way, but it's much better for you to be in control. Yeah. And the doctor can be there guiding you if you're like, oh, how does this work? What do I do? They can be there or you can trot off to the bathroom and do it on your own. And I mean, like, no one else can feel any like pain or something is going the wrong way like you can absolutely so uh, yeah that's it and I think with vaginismus that's often why people have that condition because they've had unwanted touch or they've had things that haven't gone well and their body remembers that and goes yeah nah we're not doing that anymore so it will clench up and seize up and and not allow that kind of thing so really important to be able to work with that 
We've been chatting about everything you need to know going into a sexual health check, uh, what you should be looking out for on the STIs and STD fronts, tests you might not know you can uh, handle yourself. But I want to ask Tanya um, specifically whether sexual health checks are just for STI screenings or can you use them to talk about other things like any pain you might be having beyond Mm. that uh, while having sex, contraception, like a contraceptive or family planning plan. Is that possible? Absolutely. Doctors and sexual health clinics give all of this information. Um, They can talk to you about contraception, the options available, they can prescribe for you. Um, Sexual pain, if you're having any sexual pain, you can see a doctor or a sexual health clinic. This is a really big one because so many people encounter medical practitioners or other practitioners who do not understand sexual pain and they don't know how to respond. Mm. I've had clients who've been told, just relax, take a few breaths. It's supposed to hurt. This is your duty. It will stop after the initial pain. Have a glass of wine. Take a painkiller or some numbing gel. Right, none of these things is okay. Gross. Yeah. If any one of your practitioners say something like this, stop, and get a second opinion. This is not okay. Pain should not be happening at all, ever. Really, whatever you do, unless it's some consensual inflicted pain, and that knock yourself out. That's really good fun as long as you've negotiated what's happening and it's consensual. Great. But pain in your body when you're being intimate is not supposed to be there for any activity. People often say, oh, anal sex is supposed to hurt. I'm like, no, no, it's not. Learn about it. Work Mm. out how it works um, and have fun. But take your time and do all the things you need to do. So I think sometimes with medical practitioners, there's not enough curiosity as to the type of pain or what might be happening. Because pain can come from things like inadequate outer course or foreplay, um, small tissues can tear when we're doing uh, receptive sexual activities without enough warm-up. Uh, you can have endometriosis. You could have phimosis, which is a tight foreskin over the penis that won't retract. You could have vaginismus, which is hypertonic muscle spasms and tightening. You can have a uh, tight pelvic floor. You could have vulvodynia. You could have dyspareunia, which is pain on intercourse prostatitis, testiculitis, ectopic pregnancies, and so much more, right? There are many, many things that can give you pain. So take it seriously. Um, Research, one of my colleagues at uni did research on uh, women having sexual pain and said they'd often seen upwards of 18 different practitioners and spent over $20,000 before they found what the cause was. So there's a lot written about um, women being expected to tolerate pain in the medical industry and it's starting to be researched and addressed, but we still have a ways to go. So please don't let anyone tell you you must be experiencing pain because you don't. No, definitely not. And uh, for a test like a pap smear, for example, it's recommended to have them regularly. How often does someone with a cervix need to be taking one? Um, These days, uh, it depends on your age and your risk factor, but uh, every three to five years. It used to be once a year, but as research has evolved and different ways of treating it have come up, it's uh, every three to five, but check in with your doctor. Is this the right timing for me? Often, if you see a regular GP, they send you out a letter saying, hi, hi, it's about time you had this checked out. Mm. So, And I think that's a great system, but if you move around and you change, 
bear it in mind. It's a really good idea to mark it in your calendar. Most of us these days have online calendars and you can go back and check. Mm. So have some color-coded stuff for when you go to the doctor and check these things out. So you can refer back and go, oh, it might be a little bit of time before since I've done that and I should go and do another one. Yeah. Now, the big C... How much does a sexual health screening cost? Haha. <laughs> well, if you're eligible for a Medicare card, then sexual health screening is free of charge. Uh, if the service bulk bills. If they don't bulk bill, it's approximately $40. Um, I think, though, because there are lots of different places where you can go and get tests, and we'll talk about that later, uh, some of them are attached to hospitals and things, so they don't charge. So really, mostly, it should be free of charge or low cost. It's a health initiative to make sure that everybody gets themselves tested. So if somebody wants to charge you an outlandish amount of money, stop, go somewhere else. Definitely. Yeah. You can always go and get a second opinion. Yeah, and ask the cost before you go into the doctor's room and pull down your underpants. Yes. Yep. Now, does someone need to take, take on or consider any like aftercare or follow-up care in having a sexual health check? Yeah, well, if you get a diagnosis, uh, in a lot of cases, and I think for most of the things that we've been talking about today, the treatment for STI is a dose of a strong antibiotic. Really, sometimes it's one big horse pill. Uh, but uh, perhaps the most difficult thing is the stigma about mm. the contracting of an STI because people really feel bad and have a lot of shame around that. And often they have to talk to people that they might have been connecting with and say, so I went to the doctor and this has happened, which people don't like. Um, I like to refer to them as skin conditions because most of them are. Just because they're transmitted by genital contact does not mean that you are bad or there's something wrong with you. I don't understand how someone can sneeze in your face on the train and give you a cold. That's okay. But if you get something that also requires antibiotics mm. um, from genital contact, there's something bad about that. Yeah. All right. If you have things like herpes or HIV, that's an ongoing care regime. So you need to manage that. Herpes can be managed for outbreaks by taking medication regularly. Or if you don't want to take medication all the time, you can take it when you notice any outbreaks. But that requires a level of responsibility and investigation because when you are shedding skin, that's when you can transmit that um, disease. Um, HIV requires antiretroviral plan and regular monitoring of your T cells and other markers to see if it's being managed well or if it's turned into AIDS. There's there's a regime for that sort of stuff, and mostly it shouldn't cost that much anymore. I think we are really lucky here mm. in Australia with our medical treatments and the costs of things. I want to give a quick shout out to someone on 0409-945-945 who, if you're local to the Inner West, has given uh, a heads up that RPA, uh, the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, does free STI checks and the staff are lovely and that it's a stigma-free environment. We're going to pop a little link up at fbiradio.com slash programs with a bit more information. Of course, because we're on Let's Talk About Sex. My name's Maya Billick. I'm with Tanya Coons and... We are going over everything you need to know going into a sexual health check. So we've talked about some STIs, STDs to look out for, why you should be taking these tests regularly. And we've come up to the point where not enough people talk about this. Red flags when you're already in the appointment or if your doctor's doing something a little bit sus. So 
Tanya, I want to ask, say anyone listening has a very specific like sexual health concern or need, you know, there may be someone who suffers from vaginismus, for example, and are trying to find a doctor that they feel comfortable with or, you know, someone who is queer friendly. Do we have any tips that we can give? Um, There's a lot of questions there. Um, I think Queer Friendly, the sexual health clinics, they're going to be really good for that. So you can, um, I love the shout out. Thank you, anonymous person for uh, RPA. Most hospitals have a sexual health clinic free of charge. ACON used used to run a sexual health clinic, but they've shut it down for COVID. I'm not sure if it's open again. But there is a Sydney sexual health clinic located at the Sydney Eye Hospital and the Albion Centre in Surrey Hills and Western Sydney Sexual Health Centre. Need those. Red flags. Right. If it doesn't feel right, then it isn't. Please remember that. You have the right to say stop at any time. I don't like this. Can you explain what you're about to do or are doing? Um, If you feel a practitioner isn't acting appropriately, you can ask them to stop or bring another person into the room. Uh, I know that this can be hard because that power imbalance is real, but it's within your rights. Totally. Yeah. Ask what and how the doctor's going to do so you know what to expect. That can reduce anxiety for a lot of us. If you're worried, have a friend or a family member. They can be in person or on the phone talking you through things if you're nervous. And it also keeps the practitioner on point. Um, If you don't feel like you're being listened to, then perhaps that's not the right place for a medical examination. It might be frustrating, but it's within your rights to say, thank you for that information. I think I'll go and think about it, I might go and get that test somewhere else or or later. Yeah, or even to, you know, request another doctor to see you. Yep. Yeah, most certainly. Because sometimes folks don't want someone of the opposite sex um, dealing with them or same sex, doesn't matter. People have their preferences of people. Some people don't want young people. Some people don't want older people. It's really up to you and how you're feeling and trust your gut. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reason why we bring up this question is there's definitely no shortage of, unfortunately, horror stories in this department. Um, Yeah. One off the top of my head is someone I know had gone in to get an STI check at um, at an ER, at an emergency room. Right. And they were really, really concerned that there was something horribly wrong very anxious about the prospect of being diagnosed with something and right. kind of asked the doctor, you know, upon the examination, do you have any idea about what we like what we could be looking at here? Like what can I expect as, yeah. you know, a potential diagnosis here? And the doctor had responded with, Well, you know, it could be herpes and just started laughing at them completely just Are you I'm doing the O face what? Yeah, making fun of the prospect of their patient. So not okay. No. So not okay. Because that's such a stigmatized thing as it is. Already, yeah. 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 And it's really doctors should be like, Oh, it might you know, I'm not sure yet. They need to when they're sure, then they talk you through it and saying, this is a skin condition, it's okay, you know, it's contractible at these times, you need to be careful when this is the treatment regime and not skip a beat, not this laughing, sniggering, that yeah. sort of stuff. And if, if they're a good doctor, how are you feeling about that? Are you okay? Do you yeah. have any concerns? And you should not ever be made to feel shut down for having those yeah. concerns or reacting in the way that you are in a circumstance like that either. No, no. I, I, yeah, I think that, that brings us, uh, yeah, oh, boy. Just, <laughs> yep. <laughs> eyes are bugging out. It's really, really not good. 
Um, but it kind of brings us into different areas too around talking with your partners. Yes. Yeah. Or who should you tell? Yeah, who should you tell? Who should you talk to? Say you have had a horrible experience like that. What's the next step? Yeah. Well, there's lots of there's. Now, how do you rate horrible experiences? One practitioner's not treating you well. The other is, oh my god, I contracted something. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think if you've had a not good experience, please share it with somebody because you're likely to get support, and that can be quite traumatizing if you don't get to talk about it and know what your options are. Even talk about it to the manager of the practice where you've been, right? Because people act inappropriately for reasons. Sometimes they're having a bad day, but it's still not okay. Um, if you've contracted something, right, do you discuss this with your sexual partner? It is personal preference about disclosing before you go for a health appointment. Uh, if you're worried about something that's transmissible, I would suggest you mention it. If you get a diagnosis, then definitely discuss it with your partners. So many people worry about disclosing herpes because they fear it will scare off lovers. Mm. Um, and let me tell you, lots of my clients worry about this and then they tell people and they get such a beautiful response, right? Because people know it's treatable. And we talked about only spreadable when uh, you're shedding. So there are treatments for it. I won't go into it again because we've got a lot to say. But uh, it's really best to disclose if you can. And then you work out your management. If the doctor or the treating practitioner doesn't give you information, go find it out. You can actually see a lovely sex therapist and get get a nice way of doing it. Sometimes I role play with folks how to talk to people about it. I had a beautiful client once who read an 18-page thesis to their partner about getting herpes. I'm like, no, I didn't ask. We didn't, you're not writing a thesis on herpes. We're going to do a, a two-second chat about, I have this, this is how it works. This is where you need to have consent or not consent. How do you feel about it? Mm. And it went really well for them. Which I love, and that's why I enjoy doing this segment with you so much, Tanya. You make it so easy and so <laughs> comfortable, which is what you should be feeling more than anything if you're going in for a sexual health check. Yes. Now, I just want to do one more thing about trauma. Right? Yes. Because if people have had trauma, it can actually really mess up somebody uh, touching your body or doing something. So if you're nervous or if you've had this, you can tell the doctor surgery or the clinic in advance they often have procedures for that. They can often have trained people in the room with you. Mm. They can make a plan because I think there are a large number of doctors, gynees, urologists, sexual health practitioners who will understand but not all. So it's important. So and, and also people are less informed on gender and gender dysmorphia. So it's changing as trainings roll out, but it's really important to know we can't assume these things and you don't want to put yourself into a situation that will traumatise you further. Yeah. Right. So ask for another person to be present, ask for a plan, ask how they would handle it and know that you can tap out at any time. Totally. Really, really important. We had a long year today, but we covered all the bases. We did indeed. And I hope that's been really useful for folks who are going off to get tests. There was one more thing I wanted to say before we go too, is that this, these things can get even more complicated for our gender expansive friends. Mm. So it's really important to let practitioners know that sometimes it may be difficult for you to undergo any medical examination, not just the sexual ones. 100%. Let people know it's okay. Advocate for yourself. I know it can be hard. Some powerful words always to end on. 